Mothers on the Frontline is a nonprofit organization founded by mothers of children with mental illness. We are dedicated to storytelling as a method of both children's mental health advocacy and caregiver healing. Our podcasts consist of interviews of caregivers by caregivers out in the community. This results in less polished production quality, but more intimate conversations rarely available to the public. Caregivers determine how they are introduced and the stories they share. We bring these personal experiences to you with the aim of reducing stigma, increasing understanding, and helping policymakers recognize and solve the real unmet needs of families dealing with America's current children's mental health crisis. Welcome to the Just Ask Mom podcast, where mothers share their experiences of raising children with mental illness. Just Ask Mom is a Mothers on the Frontline production. Today we will speak with a mother of three children with mental health diagnoses. She works as a family partner in North Carolina with North Carolina Families United. Well, hello. I'll just ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, either before or outside of mothering. What are your passions? What do you love to do? Family time. I love family time. I like spending um, time with my um, immediate family, like my at-home family and my extended family. So um, family family values mean a lot. Um, my husband races, so we do we go to the racetrack a lot because he races motorcycles um, and sports because my kids do um, basketball and soccer in volleyball, in competitive cheer, and I used to run, so sports activities is things that I like to do. Well, that sounds like fun, like yeah. a lot of fun Stay in the house. Staying really busy, <laughs> that's really cool. Stay very busy. The racing would scare me a little bit. It does. I don't like for him to race if I'm not there, but I'm used to the racetrack. My uncle used to own the racetrack. My cousins race cars, so that's something that I grew up with, so You're it's kind of, it. you know, the fact that we met, and that's his thing, and I grew up with it, so it's something mm-hmm. that we had in common, but... Yeah, it bothers me if I'm not there. It sounds exciting too, though. It is. It's an adrenaline high. Absolutely. absolutely. So I want you to pretend that you're talking to elected officials. What do you want them to know about your experience? What do you want them to understand? It would be um, the difficult things that families go through to get services. That um, when they choose to cut funding in certain areas, how it affects families, especially families in rural areas how hard that families and children fight for services, how they can be overlooked and or mistreated because the services they need is not available to them. To probably take themselves out of the equation when they're making these decisions because they may or may not have had to experience the things that we've had to experience. Um, So how can you make a judgment or make a decision based off of data? Because data doesn't tell it all. Stories can tell you some things, but data can only give you numbers, and numbers is not a good way of determining whether or not it's beneficial for a particular area. Can you think about certain things that you've seen that have been cut or not cut, that or just programming that you could have used that weren't available? I mean, you know, because so my son is now 17, and we started this journey back um, when he was five weeks, basically. And when his diagnosis came into play, and I've, I've actually moved from county to county to get services 
And so I'm from a smaller county in North Carolina, but then I moved to an even smaller county in North Carolina to get better services. But I feel like I should not have had to uproot my family to go somewhere else to get services. And I stayed there for a while. And because, I mean, what his what the problems he was having, I owned my own business and couldn't run my own business. I had to be a stay-at-home mom because there were not people that could take care of him. Or the doctors didn't feel comfortable with him going to a daycare, not even to my own, if I couldn't be in the room the whole time. That's um, a lot of pressure. I knew, too. Yeah, so I became a stay-at-home mom when I really wasn't ready to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then the fact that you have people, I mean, like the agencies that I was working with in, in the smaller county, they told me, when you go back home, you're not going to get these services. Now, not to say that the services are not available, but you're not going to get these services. And and it's because of the fact that these agencies slash organizations or governmental agencies have the right to hold on to funds. And if those funds are not used uh, within a certain time frame of the end of the fiscal year, they can use it however they see fit. Mm-hmm. So if it's something, if they really want that money for something else, then they can say it's not available or, and or needed for children and hold on to it, but then they can spend it somewhere else. Right. So they're motivated. There's so they're right, right. So and now in North Carolina, they are trying to pass um, a bill where it's going to prevent them from doing that. But that's a process. Right. But that's now. So what's going to say that when it's time for this bill to go through, that the elected officials are still in play? Right. If they're gone, then we got to start all over again. So I mean, you know, it's uncomfortable. I mean, my 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 daughter was in school, so I had to uproot her to go somewhere else just so her little brother can get services. Um, and then you know, you have families that they may make a dollar too much and they can't get Medicaid. I feel like that um, these private sector insurance companies need to understand the importance of services. And I feel like if the government can um, make the insurance companies do so much as far as, you know, the Affordable Care Act and, and all of that, then you need to have them to implement or like demand that they do mental health services or IDD services, something, because these kids should not be without as well. The only way you can get services for your child like that, if you deem your child um, a risk to, the, to society, and then they're gonna, they're, they would give them residential Medicaid for the time frame that they need to be put away to get the services to make them successful in the community, and they should be able to be successful in the community in the community. Well, here's the question, and we're in different states, so I know it varies state to state, mm-hmm. but even if they have residential and they come home, if there are no community services, then they're they starting, all, they're over starting all over again. They're mm-hmm. starting all over again. And I think that comes, um, that requires a lot of advocacy work. Like my job, I'm a family partner, so I advocate um, for the families in North Carolina. So my the, who I work for is the state chapter for North Carolina, family grand state chapter. So we take care of all of North Carolina. So I advocate for those services. I attend these school meetings and these DSS meetings and, and everything to make sure that the family voice is heard and the families get what they need. I sit on care review because I'm going to be that voice that's going to keep that child out of residential to try to implement those services in the community. Um, and we stress the importance of giving that family a wraparound service, give them a family partner, give them, give that youth a youth partner, somebody that has been there, done that, that can help guide them through the community to help them be successful. Because in the end, the government's going to save money. It's just exactly. getting them there. Exactly. It's just, I mean, everything, every time something goes wrong, it falls back on mental health. Yes, it does. But you take away our money. What's so hard, too, is kids, you know, they're like anyone else with mental health conditions, physical health conditions, it ebbs and flows. Yep. And then your kid's doing better. So, oh, you don't need it anymore. 
And it's always, <laughs> you know, and I see that it's not that you don't need it. Maybe you need to be put on maintenance. Yes. Put on maintenance. So that means that if my child is doing good, then he, he or she should not have to go see somebody every week. Put them on maintenance, but don't say that if he has a flare-up, 30 days later that we have to go back through that assessment process all over again. And start from the beginning. That's, yeah. So that's, to me, that's not fair because nobody wants to have to continue to tell their story to somebody strange mm-hmm. over and over again. And it's preventive. If you get them young, mm-hmm. put the money where your mouth is, then you don't have to worry about these older people. Exactly. So I really feel like sometimes when, we, when we're voting or when we choose not to vote, there's a consequence to everything. But just because they're in your political party, read up on them. Because just because they're they they're Democrat and you're a Democrat, they're Republican because you're a Republican, doesn't mean that they're the perfect fit. That's right. Read up on their beliefs. That's right. Google them and see what's been in their family. That's, that's key, isn't you, it? That's key. That's how you would know who you need to have around that table. Because when someone's gone through this, all of a sudden they it see everything so different. Yes. yes. Different. It hit close to, and I'm like that with schools. I, I love for my kids to have a teacher that has had to deal with certain situations because then that means they're going to have empathy when they see something flare up. That's right. So you need to think about that when you're voting in these elected officials. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. That's huge for us moms. We're grateful. So... What I'd like to ask you is what has been difficult in the past when trying to get help for your child? What has been a stumbling block or a challenge? So, I, you know, when I was asked that one time before, I always thought it was the initial services, because it was. Um, but then again, at the same time, insurance people don't feel like, well, it's Medicaid or private. They don't feel like kids under a certain age have an issue, because it can be age-related. I understand and I get that. I would probably say, though, it would have been when my son was in elementary school when I first initiated trying to get um, him tested as well as a 504 put in place. I think that was really, really difficult, and it made me realize how hard it was on families who wasn't used to advocating for that stuff um, because I went in without my own support because, hey, that's what I do. I didn't need support because I do this for a living, and I walked out of there in tears because I did not get it the first time. Excuse me, and I was like, okay, so this makes no sense. You know, I know this is what I'm supp- he's supposed to get. He's entitled to it. Where did I mess up in? And I remember going back to work upset about it. And my boss was like, you know, what's wrong? And I went to tell her exactly what had happened. She said, and you went by yourself because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I needed anybody. And she said, because as families, we go in there with our heart. So we need somebody else to go in there with their mind. So we that. need our own support. She said, that. because you're not thinking because that's your baby. She says, right. so you're not thinking in, in the professional manner of your scope of your work. You're thinking about what's going to help your child, right. which they do go hand in hand, but we get a little blindsided. And we let them talk down to us because we're a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the biggest challenge for me. And I, I got so frustrated. I was like, you know what? I'm going to call this meeting one more time, but I'm going to have all my ducks in a row. And so me and my husband took our son to... Um, the Epilepsy Institute in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and got him tested on our own. We went, we convinced our pediatrician that he needed it. We went there for like five visits, went through the whole process, and we were right. He, we would do the accommodations, and he deserved it. And that that place took us through the whole 504 process and had it written out for us, accommodations and all. And all we had to do was go back to school, presented it to them. And it made it so much easier. But it was a place that understood where we were coming from. Right. Took the time to listen to our concerns. Took the time to work with our son and found out what worked for him. What worked well? Think of something that 
just worked and really helped your kiddo. So he met a, um, he had a fifth grade teacher. This was before we were able to get him tested. They called me in one day and she said, Shandrika, I've noticed something with, with your son. And I was like, what is it? And she said, he raises his hand whenever we're taking a test. And I call him up and I say, okay, read it to me. And he'll read the question to me. And he said, never mind, I got it. And he'd go back and sit down. Hmm. She said he did it over and over again. She said, I got a little frustrated because I was like, is he playing games with me? But then she said she thought about it after he went and sat down one last time and she just looked at him. And she said, come here. And he went back up to her. She said, what is it? What makes it? What's the difference between you doing it there than you coming to me and reading the questions to me? He said, when I read the questions to you, I hear the question and I understand it. And so I can actually do the work. So she actually called the principal to come to her room. And so the principal could to view what was happening. They excused her to go to Lowe's Home Improvement up the street. She went and bought a plumbing pipe shaped like a telephone for him. And she gave that to him. It stayed at his desk. And she told him that whenever he needed to read a question, to pull that out and read it into that pipe. And he could hear it. He never once had to ask her that question ever, ever again. And she told me, she said, that made me think that something wasn't clicking. It, he wasn't comprehending something. That's what made me realize he needed to be tested. But she allowed him to take tests. She allowed him to do things that probably nobody else would have done. She risked her job right. to make him be successful. And that was the first time he ever passed in the great testing. How creative. Too. That was so creative. And he, to this day, he loves her. I mean, he goes back, and like, she has now retired, but then she comes back to sub. He's, he goes back to see her, and he's a senior now. He was like, he felt like, had it not been for her, he would have never been successful. And that's part of his accommodation, is that he has to read his questions out loud to himself. And so she actually had diagnosed him in her head, so he actually has dyslexia reading comprehension. So anything that he does, if he doesn't read it out loud to where he can hear it, he doesn't get it. Right. But that was like, she was like a blessing to us. And it made the process a whole lot easier. And to have her to advocate for him and to risk everything for him showed me that she cared. That's wonderful. And I mean, that was a time frame when we had the problems with shootings in school. Oh, and, yeah. you know, now my husband was like, do you ever get concerned? And I said, no, because if she went that mile for that, then I know she would do everything in her hands and her powers to keep him safe and those kids safe. That's right. So she was like a blessing to us. There's nothing better than a good teacher, yes, good doctor, good, right? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Wonderful. So we like to ask this question. Right now, in this moment, because we know it changes constantly in our lives, but in this moment, are you swimming? Are you treading water? Are you drowning? Where do you feel like you're at? Not drowning. Maybe I'm swimming. Yeah. I mean, so I guess... I would say, I would say I'm swimming. I mean, not that we're probably not getting ready to hit another, you know, moment because my son's a senior, so we got to get ready for college and he doesn't test well. Mm -hmm. So we, we're having to do individual face-to-face -face visits to get them to understand he has a GPA, but he may not have the test scores. So, but I mean, now things are a whole lot clearer than they probably have been in a while. So 
And that's exciting, too, though. That's it is. an exciting time. It is. I mean, and, and too, the fact that he helped me get through the hard times. So now that my 11-year-old, well, it's 12-year-old now, is going through her issues of anxiety and stuff, I'm prepared. That's awesome. So it's kind of like, I think that's what really keeps me afloat, is that that's what's going to keep me from drowning, is the experience that I already have from the past. It gives you confidence, it right? Does. It, it makes really me does. know that because he's getting ready to graduate, um, and he has close to a 3.0 GPA at the time when they may have said that he wouldn't have made it that far, that he has, and that means I did something right. Absolutely. That my advocacy works. That's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. So what is your self-care routine or more appropriate survival technique? What do you do to take care of you? I make sure, for one, that I don't take on, I follow the same step of no more than two appointments. If I can manage one, I do one. And I never make appointments during school days. If I cannot get an appointment on an early release day or a teacher work day, then they don't do an appointment. I make that perfectly clear when I start anything as far as my kids are concerned. Um, because I don't feel like being stressed. I don't want to be running from here and there and them put in that same situation. And I share the load. Um, for a while, it was kind of hard for my husband to understand everything. But now, he, he gets it. So we share it so all the burden doesn't follow me. So the fact that I have a my husband, my partner to be as understanding, maybe not as, as knowledgeable, but he can I can send him to an appointment or to a meeting and he's heard me talk about the things that I do for my job that he knows what questions to ask. He knows how to, to take the right notes and what to question them about, things like that. And that's my that's probably the easiest survival technique that I have, and I take time for myself. At 8 o'clock, I shut down. My kids know that's my time, and they know that that's, that's when they need to be on their own for a couple of hours. So That's great. So we end with this question. What's your most laughable moment? What, Looking back and your experiences, what makes you smile? What makes you laugh? So like my son was the baby in the bubble. From the time he was five weeks with his diagnosis up until um, going to kindergarten, he could never go outside and play. Really? So he's not, he doesn't have the experience of playing in the dirt, um, just going outside to be that rough little boy. He would never play football a day in his life. He's not allowed to do that. Um, and I remember one day he, because um, my husband used to play Rick softball, and so we took him to a softball game, and he just wanted to play in the dirt. And I was like, you know, and I let him get down behind the pitcher's mat because he wanted to cheer his daddy on. And he would stand behind the fence, and he'd be like, Daddy, Daddy, I know you hear me. And he would make everybody start laughing because he just wanted <laughs> his daddy to recognize that he was standing there at the fence. And so he sat down behind the fence at the dugout, and he just played and played and played, hit dirt all over him. And it was like, it was happy for us because he was never able to do that. But the next day, we get a call because he was staying with my mom. And she was like, you're going to have to come and get Jason take him to the doctor. I was oh, like, no. what happened? And she was like, he looks like baby New Year. So I come and get him. His ears literally was the size of baby New Year. Oh, no. So we get him to the doctor, and they did all these tests. And they he's a, my, my son's allergic to everything but a cat and a dog. Literally. Everything in the world but a cat and a dog. That's the only two things that he can rub up against that don't break him out. And so, you know, they gave him medicine or whatever, and it didn't really scare me after a while. To me, it was funny because he we wanted him to experience that so bad. And he had such a ball out there playing that he didn't care that 
he his ears was dead. I mean, we showed him in the mirror how big his ears had gotten and stuff. And to this day, he still laughs about it. We talk about it and he laughs about it and he can play sports now. So it's like, you know, him just getting him out in the world and being able to experience being a kid. He plays basketball. Um, he tried track and softball. He could just never be able to play football. He gets that. But the fact that he's becoming, he went from the baby in the bubble to being a regular kid now. That's he got to experience some tragedies along with some fun times. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. That's like my laughable and probably most memorable moment was him. His ears looking like baby new year. <laughs> and then just him being able to play sports because it was just so hard getting doctor releases to let him do those things. It was so hard, but the fact that he does it now and he enjoys it and and we get to have the fun with them. Thank you so much for sharing your story and especially the, the last story. Those things help us moms because when we're in the middle of it, sometimes we never think we're going to see the other side. No, you don't. So thank you so much. You're welcome. You have been listening to Just Ask Mom, recorded and copyrighted in 2017 by Mothers on the Front Line. Today's podcast host was Tammy Nyden. The music is Old English, written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts and this and other series relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com.